Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Being an autistic student in college brings its own set of challenges. However, when you are a black autistic student and as a result have multiple identities that are often marginalized, these challenges can multiply. Philip Magruder joins us on this episode of Autism Stories to discuss intersectionality as it relates to the college experience for autistic people. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Philip, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for having me. This is an honor to be here to uh, talk about my experiences with autism and uh, what I could do to uh, help other people who are going through the same thing like me. And I have uh, looked at your show and also seen the previous guest and I like what you're doing and I commend you for what you're doing. So thank you for having me. Well, well, that means a lot to me, Philip. You know, thank, thanks a lot. Wanted to start out with learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? It all began when I was um, an infant. I was an infant and um, I was diagnosed with um, Asperger's syndrome at the time. And I remember my mom and my dad were having confusion on like what was wrong with me at that period because this was like 1992, 1993. And I think it was at a time that autism was not even the term at the time. At the time, it wasn't really a well-known thing. If you go back to like the uh, old term in the dictionary or under the, the um, American Disabilities Dictionary, it was always described as mental retardation or a form of it. And that was the definition before our evolution, before we all know what autism is. And I was going through those struggles where I didn't understand certain things or social cues. I was sometimes isolated to myself because my sin, I, it was also having sensory issues. Like when I would get around a big crowd, I might, you know, flip out a little bit because I didn't know how to deal with them as an individual first. So that's why I'm, I understood that my mom and dad worked with me and uh, helping me become the person that I am, teaching me how to count and spell, especially spelling my name and also uh, learning about history and how important that is. And I feel like having those things and also my personal experiences growing up with also not just having autism, but also being black, I think also helped me to uh, understand what this thing was to me and also living with that double standard. And that's where that story began. I've been a part of programs like at University of Kansas. They had a program where they uh, would test my intelligence, you know, like, okay, Philip is right, right here in terms of math and reading skills. So if he's in these courses, he'll be able to improve. And that's what you're looking for was improvements. As a kid, I thought it was a place where I could have fun and, you know, be myself. But uh, I think that was part of it because you're able to, like, see where that person is, for example, and then see, like, where you're trying to go in ter terms of improvement. I was able to comprehend that until I got into the seventh grade and my mom and dad explained what autism was to me. And I really understood it because as a kid, I always never liked instructors would come where I was at recess in elementary school and I wanted to play with the other kids. You know, I wanted to fit in, you know, you know, that, and that's the, also the difficulty of the social isolation is even though you know you're different, but you want to fit in with everybody else. And, you know, they would come and get me work on those things. And 
it would take me out, but then my parents un- explained it, and I understood that's why I'm different from everybody else. But I was able to go through that, but also grow from that, despite all the trials and tribulations. And I uh, went through uh, various community colleges because at first I wanted to play football. Spent a uh, semester at Highland Community College before transferring to uh, Kansas City, Kansas Community College. Then I also uh, got my Associates of Arts from KCKCC, Kansas City, Kansas Community College, for those who don't know. And um, after that, I transferred to finish the rest of my college career at the University of Kansas. And I graduated uh, with a bachelor's in liberal arts and sciences with an emphasis on sports management and uh, autism awareness in December of 2017. And ever since then, I've been working with the Kansas City Chiefs as a guest service representative, which is uh, like an usher position, also security. And sometimes when I'm to myself, I would hype the crowd up because uh, if you understand Arrowhead Stadium history, it's the loudest stadium in the world, not just in, in the NFL, but in the whole world. That is also compared to any other stadium throughout the whole globe. And also, I am a uh, technical support representative at the uh, self Coalition of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, where the University of Kansas is at. And um, our organization is to help out individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. That also includes individuals with autism or Asperger's, uh, especially members, people who are in the dis- disabled community. We just celebrated the uh, 30th anniversary of the American Disabilities Act. And um, I had a speech about how to impact, how it impacts me as an African-American male with autism. And I'm glad to uh, be here in this position right now to talk more about that. It's a big transition for autistic high school students to transition to college. One big part of that transition is that you have to develop a new community. So... Um, New friendships can be very challenging. So you were talking about how you went to the University of Kansas. What was your initial experience in finding community there? Where do I begin? Well, I was set in a a community setting at Templin Hall, which was almost like a uh, apartment-like community. Like you go out in the hallway, it's a community where we all watch TV, but you have your own separate rooms. So it was basically trying to find find good friends, make friends, you know, be yourself and see how people accept you for who you are. And um, to be shocking, to, sh- to shock you, it was very good. I had a lot of people who I connected with, uh, especially from the beginning. Almost like, dang, already in like three days, I made a lot of friends already. And the thing, though, that kind of bothered me a little bit when I was at University of Kansas, especially within like the first three weeks. Well, actually the first three days, really, because we all like introduced ourselves. The first thing I did mention was I do have autism. And the first reaction that you will get is, you're autistic? Wow. You don't look autistic to me. And when I get that, it's like, what is that supposed to mean? Your eyes, like, so you mean to tell me that from your form of what autism is, you really assume that people with autism are stupid, retard, you know, like, or any other derogatory word to describe a person with uh, autism or any uh, or any other disability. 
that's the thing that affects me just as much as it would affect me that some some people think that all black people are criminals or that mm-hmm. negative stereotype they portray of us on the media. And those are those things I took into consideration, not only as just a black man, but I'm a black man with autism because, you know, I also dealt with those hardships of uh, having autism with, you know, my own kind where some people mistake it for mental, mental retardation as well. So it comes to that thing where you learn that from your personal experiences that, you know, you go from just that experience dealing with your own continent when you get into a structure like the University of Kansas, which is like a predominantly white setting. It's about like not like what is said, but how you respond to it. And I felt like I respond to it well, but inside I had to keep it in where it was like building me up to where it probably led to me to do things and it actually inspired me to do the things like I did to create my uh, group, the unit, uh, believe autism matters because I felt like also individuals who are on the spectrum are also going, who are also in the disabled community. They deserve to have their voices heard, especially when you have a uh, academic resource center that's supposed to help them out and, you know, help them out with accommodations. But I feel like, KU's more focused on their basketball team being more important instead of like focus on the real academics because there is always great potential that even KU in certain numbers, depending on their departments, they're ranked in the top country. And it's like, why don't we bring that to the attention instead of just sports, in my opinion? Hmm. And those are things that I've taken into consideration and also seeing that individuals with autism also have struggles at KU, especially like getting around because it's a big university. Just like I read on your profile, you went to the Ohio State University. I could tell you that I believe Ohio State is just like KU in that form because it's a big university. <laughs> athletics is also what makes it run. Like that's what's so big about Ohio State is like athletics. And there's also departments there that have done great research just like KU has. But um, the thing that gets me, that got me was just seeing that the effort towards helping people with uh, these disabil- with disabilities like myself, they're not having the time or having that requirement met. And also seeing that people really didn't take us seriously. Like, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're with, we're with you, but they're not really with you. So it's like, that's what, what motivated me to create the group. So I can say I want to be the voice of the voiceless and also give people awareness to this because it does affect a lot of people. I know a lot of people, shockingly, who would tell you, also in the industry I work, who have an individual in their family with autism and how it affects them. And it's like, okay, if that's the case, then this is why I have this organization because we're also trying to work towards uh, doing community service. That was my plan, but it never got to that because... I was dealing with a lot of students who just wanted the credit instead of doing the work. And that's also the difficulty of being a, a, a leader of that organization and also having autism. You have to take those into consideration because you're trying to be your own person and you're trying to make it run run well like an operation. You were talking about creating Believe Autism Matters. How do you feel that that enhanced your college experience and helped other students at Kansas as well? I believe that with that organization, I was able to make a lot of connections 
I was able to connect to a lot of organizations and to a lot of different people from around the globe, especially, uh, especially inspire them to do good by their fellow man. And I feel like that's what the organization did. It, it gave people hope and inspiration. And also really make them be an individual speaking on things that affects an individual. Like I say before, before the George Floyd situation where you have every organization saying black lives matter, it's almost the similarities of this, of that situation to my situation in terms of uh, bringing awareness to this, especially as a black man, because even if you look at the numbers of individuals who are autistic, you also see that people in the disabled community, the majority, the majority of them that speak up are white. And I have nothing against that. It's just that what about the black voices? Because black voices, I feel like, are disenfranchised. And those are facts. Just like when I saw the movie Crip Camp on Netflix. Yeah. A lot of people don't talk about this in history. That when they went to protest down at the, uh, at the California, uh, I believe, state capitol, if I believe, if I go back and look at that movie correctly, Joseph Califano, who has uh, worked under... Linda B. Johnson, this man was not listening to their rights and to the point where he, where they were at his office protesting and they stayed overnight. They shut down the air conditioning and they didn't have no food and water. And what they, you don't hear is the Black Panthers. Huey P. Newton's Black Panther group gave them food and they asked, like, you know, when you hear, like, we heard about you guys as being this violent group and everything like that, da 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 da. Why are you helping somebody like us? Well, because we stand for revolution. We stand for the spirit of revolution. You guys are doing something that's very revolutionary. It's not just about a black or white. It's about the battle of good versus evil. And we stand by you for fighting that evil. And that's why we're doing this. Because that's what really the battle of what the Panthers were fighting, good versus evil. Not like what the media is saying. Because that's why. Because they want sensationalism. They want the violence. And that's, and that's part of one of the things about me that motivates me is to speak out against that. Because... I feel like them using that image to keep pushing it down our throats like it has to sell, 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 especially during a situation like this with COVID. There's other things that we need to pay attention to instead of that. And that's just that's just from my opinion. And yeah, just to not, not to get off subject. I'm sorry, but nah, it's just that with with BAM, I feel like it inspired people. And it also opened people's eyes to the situation and also to see that everybody's lives does matter. But also remember the individuals because you can't just say all lives matter because you got to look at each individual. You got to look at also black lives. You got to look at white lives. Also look at the statistics. And I feel like that's where you should make your argument. You look at statistics like Malcolm X, who I love very much as one of my favorite heroes once said, history is to inform, or, or in other words, prove your research. If you look at history, it will prove your research. And I feel like if you just look at those numbers and look at how it affects not only people who are in the disabled community, but also black people, we need to bring that to the attention. And I feel like that, what I did with that group there, and also showing that a black man who has autism that's different from other perspectives could be a voice to those individuals and inspire them to... Uh, 
do exactly just like what I'm doing, but not just for autism, but for other causes. And it has done that because now because we're in this climate, people have come back to me and said, wow, Philip, like some of the stuff you said back then is almost relevant to what's going on today. So I feel like that's what BAM's impact has had. One of my favorite parts of Crip Camp was learning about the Black Panther Party in terms of their support. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. So it was great to learn that piece of, of history. Now, and, and, I've, and I've heard from black autistic people in the past that being in spaces where the majority of, of people are white, a lot of times they don't feel accepted or that's taken into account uh, in another important identity, which is being black. What has been your experience as a black man in these spaces? It's crazy. I have had the experience of uh, seeing racism and also having personal issues with uh, my own kind. And I've seen, but I, I do believe that my disability has been more of a, re, has been more effective than just racism because I am black. Because I felt like I, felt, I dealt with being black first before I focused on my autism because, okay, I'll tell you this story. When I was seven or eight years old, I did see racism early on. I saw the benefit of uh, being white, for example, and I saw how white children were treated differently than I was. And I saw the images on TV of, uh, you know, like the, the uh, stereotypical white perfect family. And you see how, like, the kids and mom and dad are together and they're all smiling and they're happy just seeing that image because I'm a visual learner and that's, that's how I learned with as a kid with autism was learning visually through my eyes first, then reading the information later. So, um, seeing that image, I will, I, it just led me to the part where I just was saying to myself and I said to my mom on a car ride after dropping my dad off at uh, union Pacific, cause that's where he worked at the time as an engineer. And, I just remember crying and bawling my eyes out saying I wish I was white because I saw those things and seeing reality because that was fantasy. And that's, you know, that's fiction, TV, which you see in those images. I'm living in my reality. I'm living in the inner city. I'm starting, I'm starting to see these things like the, the, the negative images that they talk about on TV. I'm starting to see in front of my eyes and trying to find light of stuff. And it's almost like I couldn't. And I remember telling her that and I know it broke her heart. But then Dan starts to continue to have my experiences growing up while I'm, while I'm black, but also uh, going through those programs with autism. I feel like that's where my focus was at first. Until when I was 11 years old, I got into the fifth grade. And that's when I picked up the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was that book is what changed my life forever. It made me say, I love who I am. I love being black and I'm proud of being black because reading that man's words and looking at the stuff he went through. It changed my life forever and forever to this day. It's like his words and his spirit almost lives through me because he saved me from even saying those things. And then also being prideful in who you are because of that. People love me for who I am, for even having that mindset because of reading that book. So then jumping to the autistic setting, dealing with autism, it was difficult, especially, and it sounds crazy, I, I got it more from, I got the hardship more from, you know, black kids than uh, 
some of the white kids, but I did see the racism, like, no doubt, man. When I saw it, there's times I called it out. I really called it out because it's like, look, I don't, I don't play that. Growing up in the household, I, household I grew up in, I was being comfortable with who I was, but I guess it was because these kids have never seen a kid, not just because I had autism, but I feel like I was intelligent enough to be around them. They thought because I would just say random stuff like I was a, a working computer in my head. My mind works like a computer. So it's like when I would just say certain historical facts right in their face, they say, you're wrong, you're wrong, tardy. Like, oh, Philip is like radio or something like that. He's brilliant, but an idiot. Like brilliant idiot, like that show with Charlamagne the God and Andrew Schultz. They had that name, and actual people listened to that show. And I thought that's funny, but it is because you know, just dealing with that difficulty. Um, I know I wasn't dumb. It's just that I worked differently from other people, but I was intelligent enough to uh, understand history and understand all the subjects subjects I needed to understand in order to make it. Those experiences were painful, especially with all the verbal stuff being said about me, and sometimes physically, because you know, you grow up in the inner city, there's kids, like when they slap you behind your head, sometimes they play around, but you're like, all right, man, you're taking it too far. But you learn as an individual, they go through worse stuff than what I'm going through. That's probably why they're doing that to me. So those experiences help me to grow and help me become a uh, more mature individual. And when I still see those people today, they actually pay me respect, so I look at it as a uh, a beautiful struggle, like a word that Hope Solo once said before. Are, are there things you think the autistic community just in general could do to better support people of color? What they could do is really like have a conversation, sit down, have a good understanding of the individual, because... It starts with the individual first before you can come together as a group. And I think that's one of my biggest mistakes is when I was running BAM was I was already seeing the big picture and just wanted to go forward with it. I didn't work with each individual and we didn't and and like what we were supposed to do and like having an understanding if everybody's really if you signed up, are you gonna be part of this? You know, you don't have to really be part of this. It's not just like no party. I never followed up on that because you have so many things pulling at you, especially going through school. It's just a lot of difficulty going through. But that's, yeah, you start with the individuals first. Understand where they're coming from. You know, look at the statistics. The statistics. Like, for example, like like for you, if you see, like, the number of of black, you could say intellectual disabled kids are out there, it's good to go to investigate, you know? You can have a group to investigate, investigate where her condition is. You gotta take those things into account. Like, she probably might live in a shack. You might even look and say, oh wow, this shack is terrible, right? That might be your first impression, right? So, when you see that, you take that in consideration, and that's one piece of information, that's one. And then two, you see how she probably lays down, that's number two, and then three, the stuff she eats, because you got you got to take into account the food that's good for you, not just the fast food. Because don't forget, some of these kids could be in areas that are really setting them up to die. You know, like you do the comparison between Overland Park, Kansas, and here in Kansas City, Kansas. If you did a comparison, they would say Overland Park is the healthiest county in the state of Kansas, 
But my county, Wanaka County, is the most unhealthy, and that's and that's because of the economic structure of those areas. Like, there's more businesses out in Overland Park, more accessibility for individual for people in the disabled community. But but it's like you got more of them in this area than you do out in Overland Park. So that becomes an issue. So when you see that as an issue, I feel like that. Those examples should make individuals who are in these communities, just like my group I'm working with, we need to take those into consideration and even bring those issues to the people that are in charge of our government, like City Hall or the um, Department of Health. Those things, those things, we should hold them accountable for. For example, and I feel like those are ways that you can help out those individuals. Like, it starts with the individual and look at the statistics and then have an action, you know, write down a plan and then put that plan into action because that's what I'm about. I'm about writing the plan down and also seeing the action. Looking back at your college experience, what advice would you give to other autistic, uh, maybe high school students as they're about to enter college? My advice is, you know, enjoy yourself. Be yourself. Don't rush anything. Take your time. You're, those people who are supposed to do for you, they're on your time to make sure that you are supposed to be prepared for the best success that you're supposed to have. Don't procrastinate. Do not do stuff at the last minute and building your intelligence because if you build your intelligence, you have a better, a great chance of surviving and understanding the world around you. Take your time to read, study. Don't just study like what you like to do like me. I love to study too much football stuff and um, history. But uh, study stuff that is very important, that's vital to your success, especially knowing the laws, especially the guidelines of like what the ADA is supposed to do for you, the American Disabilities Act of 1990. And if these, if the individuals like who's running our government are doing their job and fulfilling those promises, you have every right as an American to call them out against that. It's in our uh, Declaration of Independence. You, you were just talking about the ADA um, and, and knowing those laws being important for a college student. What was your experience uh, at in college in terms of using disability services? I had success where I had uh, accommodations where I would go to a separate room for testing because you know I'm a high sensory person. Like let's say you get uh, get around me, it's like my spidey senses might tingle. It's that's what it's almost like. It's almost like spidey sense from Spider Spider Man. And um, I like to be in a separate room to where there's peace and quiet. I'm able to focus and concentrate much better. And um, also um, had note takers for me as well because I comprehend stuff at almost like a slower pace. That's how that's how it would work. I would comprehend stuff at a slower pace, and I would have somebody who would take certain notes for me, especially the most important notes that could be vital to me answering a certain question on a problem, dealing with those uh, hardships of. Uh, let me say, my one of my biggest hardships was like the social isolation, just uh, being socially isolated, people not understanding what you go through on a daily basis, but from that perspective, uh, I feel like that it's been very beneficial to me with uh, my accommodations. 
I was able to uh, pass for flying, flying colors and concentrate because those distractions would get to me. And uh, working among a group, I could do it, but I don't like too many distractions. So working by myself has led to much better success for me. Now, since graduating from the University of Kansas, you started working uh, in the N for the Kansas City Chiefs of the NFL. You mentioned earlier as a guest service representative. Yes. I read I read recently that you uh, received a promotion. So definitely, congratulations on that. What What are you going to be doing now, Philip? I will now be part of the leadership team as a co-captain for my section. Um, I have been there since uh, 2018. Let's just say I've been there since uh, the start of Patrick Mahomes' uh, first year as a starter. He started in 2018 as a full-time starter, and I started in 2018. Like I said, my job there is really an usher, uh, greet uh, the fans as they come in through the tunnel for the stadium, answer questions that need to be answered. Like if they're at the wrong section, I will point them to the direction like where they need to go. If they got out of hand, I would have to uh, get their attention. Like, please calm that down. If you don't calm that down, I'm going to call security. And there's times, like I mentioned earlier, um, we have the loudest stadium in the world. And we I take that advantage to, uh, like, on third down, hype the crowd up, get them going, scream, yell, like, come on, guys. We are here. Let's get it going. We got the best team in the NFL. And it's it's been an awesome experience, an awesome ride, and been part of the greatest games over the last two years. Um, that kid, Mahomes, is very special. That's all I can say about that part right there. But uh, also, taking into consideration that I've been in this city for years, so it's almost like I can't act like I'm starstruck anyway. It's almost like the same approach I come into the job is just like as those players do when they play the game on the field, it's almost like the same approach. I'm a teammate of the Kansas City Chiefs, and we're all here to do a job. And that's to, like, I'm not a player, but my job is to do this. So it's almost like I am a player, so I'm doing my job on the field. And my field is the stance. And it has been a great, awesome experience. And I don't bring like my uh, disability into the factor in that. It's just that I love, I love sports. I love the game. And, I've had so many great memories there. And um, I'll tell you my greatest memory of all time, if I may say. It, this is before we, we uh, won the Super Bowl or before we won the AFC Championship. We were down 24-0 to against the Houston Texans. I'm not going to lie to you, and uh, my uh, supervisor, Caitlin, doesn't know this. <laughs> and she could probably be shocked that I'm about to say this. I was about to quit on the spot at that moment. I was getting ready to quit on the spot. But some in me, my intuition, some in me was like, don't give up. This is like, come on. Do not give up. Do not leave. And it just, something said to just pipe, hype the crowd up. So I stepped in outside the middle of it all, of the stands, because like we're outside the stadium anyway, like the stadium. And I say to my section, and, I almost, and almost everybody from even 331, because I'm in section 329, 330, 330, 331 heard me. Even 329, 328, and I think even 327 heard me out loud. I said, listen, y'all, even though we're down 24 to nothing, come on, this ain't nothing, man. Listen, we even still in the first half. 
It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And then my guy, uh, Chuck, they call him uh, Good Luck Chuck. He walked outside. He walked out of the stadium at the same time, excuse me. And when that happened, here we are scoring 28 unanswered points. Just to witness that, it made me say I'm just so glad to be part of this experience because I was at the uh, AFC Championship game last year when we were one play away, thanks a lot, D. Ford, from the Super Bowl against Tom Brady and the Patriots. Even though we lost that game, I was proud to be part of that experience. And I even said leaving that stadium, we're going to come back. We're going to win it again next year. This time we're going to win the AFC Championship. And this year, and next time we're going to win the Super Bowl. And it's almost like, wow, I feel like I did something that hasn't been done since Joe Namath. I made a guarantee in a year. So it became a reality, and it is a blessing. And also, I can't wait to uh, get my Super Bowl ring. <laughs> That's great. I love the positive outlook when it's th- when you're down twenty four nothing and it's not looking good, but you're still there's still hope. There's always hope. What do you think, as a guest service representative, that led to your um, pr- promotion? It's like what you just said there. Just the positivity, man. You gotta you gotta you gotta stay positive, even in the most bad looking or bad feeling situation. Like if you're in an environment that feels bad, you still gotta find positivity. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Like, when we were on the losing streak, I just did my job. Because safety, health, health, or health, safety is very important. So, like, when you see fans fighting each other because they're losing, you don't want that to happen. Like, I had to make sure fans wouldn't fight. And also, I took that to in consideration because it's like, we might be different, but... That's the last thing I want to see is somebody hurt, physically hurt. And also just doing my job. And when I saw fans who were drunk, I had to carry out three drunken fans. Like nearly had to hop over a seat to carry them out because that's the last thing you want to see. You, you don't want to see a fatality over something like that, like that. So taking my job very seriously and being dedicated to it and also bringing positivity to everybody, making sure everybody is included. And also standing up for myself, but not in a way that people would say, oh, he shouldn't even be a leader. Just putting myself in a position to handle it, handle it with care. I felt like was the thing that led to my promotion. And I'm blessed that my strengths led to that. Now, in preparing to interview you, I I felt like you either seek out or find yourself in leadership positions. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, I'll put it to you like this. Um, my father, my, my mother is very influential to me, but my father's blood runs through me. I say my parents are the biggest reason why I, I am a leader, not just me. My brother is a leader. My brother is currently a preacher a youth minister at um, Friendship West Baptist Church in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, under Pastor Freddie Haynes, Dr. Freddie Haynes. Then you have my sister. My sister is a uh, vice president of her organization. 
So there's just leadership skills that starts from the home that's taught to us by our mom and our dad. And that's where it came from. My father was a uh, chief petty officer in the United States Navy for 20 years. Uh, my dad was born in 1938 and he yeah, was born in, in 1991. He was 53 when he had me. He started at 21 years old in 1959 in the United States Navy and uh got uh honorably discharged from the navy in 79 so uh my father those leadership skills that my father got from the navy was taught to me and also how to stand up for yourself and also how to survive and also do it with do it with intelligence and also my mother's uh background as a history teacher and her experiences during the civil rights movement and what she had endured made her a better person and a stronger person. Her experiences is what made her a better leader and to lead by example and her being in the teaching field for 35 years until 2011. I feel like all those things have been instilled into me, into my brother and my sister to uh, lead by example in today's society. And I feel like that's where that comes from. Thinking about the future, what would you like to do in terms of positions of leadership in your life? Well, what I like to do in the future, um, well, I would like to um, continue to be a uh, community leader, uh, be an example for my community. Probably entrepreneurship, which is to promote a great, healthy lifestyle and also an organization that benefits everybody, especially also helping out black people in the community because you gotta you gotta have certain things for certain groups. You know, I also have a group because like with Malcolm X, he had two organizations: uh, Muslim Mosque Incorporated and also the the OAAU. Uh, those organizations were fighting for the same cause, and I feel like me having an organization like that in the future could be very beneficial very beneficial for everybody, especially my community and also the disabled community because everybody voices should be included. And it comes from my passion to help other people because I've seen it. I've seen the issues of not of having autism and also being black in America. It's also what the climate is at right now. Uh, I'm all about healing. As Dr. King once said before, if you continue to build, to spend more money, on military defense than money on programs of social uplift and spiritual uplift. That country is heading for a spiritual doom. And that's where that influence comes from to me, what I want to do for the future. And also, you know, work in the world of sports still, because I feel like, wow, if I could get this accomplishment as a uh, world champion, I mean, I like what I'm doing, but hopefully to become, work in the front office of the Chiefs someday, you know, work my way up as well. That's what I plan on doing. And um, I also do plan on wanting to go back to school and uh, get my master's in autism education. And that's something that I am keeping in mind. I have my mother and also friends of mine who have been talking to me about um, going back to school. And that's something I'm taking into consideration. Hopefully we just get all past this pandemic and how it affects us all. Hopefully we all can get back on our feet and um, get on the straight and narrow. But those are my plans down the road. Just having those programs of social uplift and also hoping, hopefully working my way up with the Chiefs and um, 
going back to school. Um, I also want to build a legacy for my family because that's what it, it comes down to is also building generational wealth. To, I, you know, being a black man in America, those are those things that you pay attention to, those statistics of like how uh, certain families are benefiting from generational wealth. And I feel like being that influence to let people understand what generational wealth is and also to build on to that for the future because people ask these questions. What do we do now? I feel like it starts with what we can do now so we can build for the future. And I feel like that's where mine is at now because I feel like that's the most important thing we can do as of now while we're going through this. Well, Philip, I think those are some great goals and plans. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for taking time to talk with me today. Thank you, Doug. I really, I really appreciate it. And, uh, Got also another message to those who have autism. Uh, you guys can do anything you guys want to if you just put your mind to it. I got that lyric from Eminem from uh, Lose Yourself. Also understand that individual. You know, under like don't just look at the individual. Like for me, like oh, I'm black. Also understand what am I? What am I going through as a black man? Because not everybody's situation is the same. But understand the circumstances that society has put us under, like in another way of saying we're all victims of the American social order. But we could all lift, lift, uplift each other from that. We could just come together. Because I feel like we're all powerful when we are together. And I have seen those results. And hopefully we continue to fight on this fight. Doug, keep fighting on your fight with um, reaching out to other individuals who are on the spectrum because I never thought they were out there. That's one of the reasons why I started them, to like reach out to them so they can have a voice and uh, keep doing what you're doing, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing to help out. Thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode, and thanks so much to Philip for the conversation. Hopefully you can one day teach me to be as charismatic and, and, and energetic as you. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. At Autism Personal Coach, we've seen the positive benefits that people receive when we have created groups to address a person's multiple identities that are often marginalized. One of our intersectional groups relates to being an, an autistic transgender person, the other being autistic, black, indigenous, or a person of color. Check out the podcast description for this episode to find out more information about these groups and join us in August. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Crystal Raposa about the benefits of the sport of bodybuilding for autistic people. Talk to you then.